Martha Stewart, the original influencer. When I think about anything, I think about the way that she did it first. The media mogul. Five to six years ahead, she saw what was coming. The prisoner, the rise, the fall, and the reinvention of an American icon. Once Martha paved the road, everybody else pretty much copied her. A CNN original series, The Many Lives of Martha Stewart, now streaming on Max. Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough introspection that I learn something about myself. I honestly can't gush enough about Freaky Tales. I'm so excited to share it with more people. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. I never allowed anybody to get me off the ground. So I was like super just obsessive, anal about that. Like, I know if I was in a workout or I'm on the field, I get up myself. Like, don't put your hand out there because you're going to think I'm an asshole. Like, I'm not going to take it. But I just don't, I don't. Nobody gets me off the ground but me. If I'm going to be 30-something years old playing football, I got to get my own butt off the ground and uh, realize I signed up for this. Hi, my name is Andrew Whitworth, and I'm hoping to one day finish in the top 20 in American Century. Hi, folks. It's that time again for what, you might ask? For another episode of Off the Beat, this is Brian Baumgartner. Tis the season, my friends. Ho, ho, ho. Or, well, just about the season. And yes, I do mean the most wonderful time of the year. That's right. It's football season. Dun, 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 dun. You could call me Santa because today I have a present for you. A giant present, by the way. Six foot, seven inch, 330. Andrew Whitworth joins the program today. Former offensive lineman. Andrew retired last year after 16 seasons battling in the trenches in the NFL. First with the Cincinnati Bengals. Last with the LA Rams. And, well, when I tell you his exit from the game was like a movie, well, it it, it was. Picture this, Andrew. He's in his 16th year in the game. He's 40 years old, the oldest tackle in NFL history. His team, the Rams, make it to the Super Bowl, which just so happens to be hosted in their very own hometown of Los Angeles. The opponent is none other than his former team, the Cincinnati Bengals. It's a close game, both teams leading, falling behind. Uh, Anyone could win until the last two minutes. The Rams score one more touchdown, and Andrew wins his first Super Bowl in the very last game of his career. Okay, I need to write this screenplay. Nowadays, 
You can catch Andrew. Fantastic pregame, halftime, and postgame show on Thursday Night Football. Amazon Prime. The crew is fantastic. Andrew is fantastic. Or sometimes you can find him on the golf course with me or at home with his family. Uh, actually, don't don't catch him at home with his family. That's creepy. Uh, but you can listen to him with me right now. Here he is, my old pal, Andrew Whitworth. Bubble and squeak. I love it. Bubble and squeak, I know. Bubble and squeak, I cook it every morning. Left over from the night before. What's up? What up, Ed? How's it going? Oh, it's going. Just chaos as usual. How are you enjoying retirement? Uh, you know what? It's been great. I actually had this conversation yesterday with Ryan Clark. I feel like I'm insanely busier now than when I played. I think you think of being busy because you have this structure and you're there all day. But this is just organized chaos. Every day, it's like, you know, a kid needs this, or they got to be at that. You know, I'm, I'm an Uber driver who doesn't get paid. Um, <laughs> and then on top of that, kind of getting into the media world and doing stuff with, you know, Thursday yep. football, and, and then also still kind of doing some stuff here in L.A. with the Rams and things like that. It's been a lot of fun, but uh, it feels like I start weeks with like, oh, man, it's going to be a pretty slow week. And then the next thing I know, it's like, I don't have a free minute this week. I don't know how this happens. <laughs> Right. Right. Well, I should have said retirement from football. We are going to talk about your media standing for Thursday night football, which is absolutely blown up with you guys last year. Thanks in large part to your addition. But this time of year, I have to ask you, you know, we're here in August. Do you miss hitting guys on the field? Do, do you have any like feeling of oh this is what i should be doing right now or i miss it or i'm really glad i'm not is there any of those feelings happening now that training camps are in full swing i'll tell you what last year i went to the you know just retired in march i go to like the third fourth day in training camp for the rams kevin demoff and sean kind of reached out you need to come down just be around and hang out be around the guys i go i made a big mistake i decided i would go down you know, the Rams practice at UC Irvine. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go down there and get a nice hotel. I'm going to go by Rams practice. Just enjoy two days to myself down there. It can be nice. Just kind of get away. I stay at the Montage Laguna. I check in. I go over to practice, probably 15, 20-minute ride. I probably see them warm up in full pads, maybe five minutes into this practice. I'm standing there, and I'm like, I want to go back to the Montage. <laughs> I literally watched him like break individual. I've been there 10 minutes. I shake Kevin Nimmo's hand. I'm like, it was great, man. I hope you guys have a great year. I'm going back to the hotel. Literally like took off, never came back. And it was, I just had that feeling like, you know what? I don't miss this at all. I want to wow. go sit by the pool, like hang out. And then this year I went to three days of camp and kind of a similar feeling. I was able to actually stay there because uh, I've been you know, out long enough that it didn't just make me completely grossed out to watch everybody sweating in pads and just right, think, right. oh, man, what it would feel like to hit somebody right now would be miserable. But I actually stayed a couple days. It was great. But uh, I don't miss that part of the game at all. I mean, obviously, for alignment, it's different. Like, you know, we we kind of uh, – we weren't scoring touchdowns or throwing passes or getting – 
applauded for, you know, a sack or interception. Uh, we were kind of in the trenches, just digging it out every day. And the only time you're going to hear about us is if we messed up. So <laughs> I don't miss that, that part at all. Right. Um, are you mentioned doing some work with the Rams? Are you still, you're actively working with the Rams currently? Um, I wouldn't say that. I think it's more of, um, you know, I have such a great relationship with Sean, him and I are best friends and, uh, you know, really spent a lot of time together in the off seasons throughout my time as a, as a Los Angeles Ram. And then still now talk a couple times a week, every week. And, and so we just philosophize a lot and talk about culture and team and, and the NFL and where it's headed that, you know, it's, he's a great resource for me now, what I'm doing. And then also I think me for him, right. just kind of things I hear and, and feelings we both have about the game. We've always been that way since he was the coach of the Rams. We've spent a lot of time together around that stuff. So I just kind of, am a, I call it a friend of the program, but it's one of those things like, you know, uh, I still have a real lot of really close friends there that are on that staff, you know, in the building from the trainers and equipment guys, and coaches and, and front office. So I spend a lot of time with them and just help where I can. If they got a question, I'll go up there and, and uh, do my best to, to help out them any way I can spread some knowledge. Like this year at camp, I did, they had a scouting deal where I went and talked to all the scouts uh, at their little summit about offensive line play, and D line play and kind of what I see. So that makes, that makes a lot of sense. I, you know, it, it is surprising to me always that organizations and coaches don't, that they don't take advantage as much as they should. Um, it, it feels like everybody kind of stays in their lane a little bit. And having a resource like you as an offensive lineman, it seems to me that you would be an incredible resource for the defense and for the defensive line play because nobody sees and understands what those guys are doing across from you in some ways better than you, right? Yeah, I always explain that. I actually talked about it at the scouting deal. I mean, for me as an offensive lineman, you know, you got to think like I'm studying the best rushers. I'm studying the best players in the NFL each and every week and breaking down how I could stop them. So I can tell you from my perspective, like, yeah, maybe, maybe I didn't play the position, but I can tell you, well, I know what move works and I know what doesn't for this guy. And then based off his body type, what rushes really seem to work for those body types. And those guys gave me the most trouble because they were able to do X, Y, and Z. And and the guys who tried to do this or that, it didn't work. And that never was something that I really feared or thought was you know useful. So I, I could give you a lot of feedback on all the different body types they're looking at, tall, smaller, you know, faster, twitchier power, all that. And then kind of who I thought was really the best and who did it the best. And hey, even from a coaching perspective, of if you're teaching a guy that has a very similar body to an Elvis Dumerville or a James Harrison or a Dwight Franey, I can tell you the things that those guys who play with the shorter lever, what they did that was effective and maybe some ways they should watch tape to study some of those things. Or if it's Chandler Jones or Miles Garrett or somebody you'd see as like a longer, taller player, what they did that was effective. And I think that feedback's very useful. But I think to your point, the crazy part is, is I, I don't know, I talked to so many guys that just would love to share that information. Right. Uh, but it's just not used as much as you would think. You know, I wonder why that, I mean, I had not planned to have this discussion, but there is a lot of parallels. I think, you know, in my business, particularly when you get to the network level where there seems to be this like ownership or this like taking credit for, even if it's not, even if it's not forefront in their mind, like, you know, I want to put my stamp on things as opposed to this sort of overall team culture of, 
let's just let's just make it the best. Like yeah. you know, and and if you got Andrew Whitworth on the offensive line, and you got some questions as a defensive line coach or defensive lineman, yeah, it just it makes so much sense to me. Yeah, I, I think that's one of the things that uh, in every business, I think a little bit, especially you know, like your parallel, and it is it's kind of like. Is it an ego decision? Like, hey, I don't right. want to ask somebody who may know more than me about it. Or is it kind of a, I don't want to owe you something if I ask you a favor <laughs> to kind of share? You know, it's just funny. It's like, man, I think sometimes it's like, why not just have this conversation and find out? And I think that's what most guys that I've talked to. It's not really whether you use it or not. It's like, dude, stop treating it like it's uh, unapproachable to discuss. Like, let's talk about it. Like, there's a way I can help you. I'd love to. Right. Um, I'd love to come back to the team I played for and help them in some way find the next good player or great player for them. Right. All right. Let's go back in time for you a little bit. You grew up there in Monroe, Louisiana. What was your life like as a kid down on the bayou? Fun row, Monroe. Uh, <laughs> you know, you know, it's quiet in Monroe, Louisiana, not not the uh, big, uh, big city that I live in now in L.A., that's for sure. I, I uh, you know, for me, honestly, it was great. You know, I had, uh, you know, great family, great, great life living there, a small town, very different than what I've experienced as an adult and an athlete. But I really got the blessing of being around some great football. I mean, I played against I played with some really special players there in Monroe. And, you know, I got to be part of a really cool high school program. We were 58 and two when I was in high school in football and played, Jeez. we played people in Mississippi and Texas and, you know, the five, a state champion in Mississippi and Texas, my senior year, um, and went undefeated. And, you know, it was, we played against Midland Lee and Cedric Benson and Eric Winston when they were at Midland Lee, Texas and played John Tyler, Texas. We played uh, Moss Point, Mississippi, and Demarius Bilbo and some of those great players that were in that program. So I got to experience some really cool things. Kyle Williams, who played forever for the Buffalo Bills and is an amazing golfer. Him and I were high school rivals, our two high schools. Uh, so we grew up playing each other forever, became college roommates, hated each other's guts in high school, though. Uh, you know, so I had a lot of great sports memories living in that town. It was it was amazing for me. My, my parents were always a part of that and, and my older sister, Emily. And so I can't complain at all about my childhood. Were, was your family into football? When, like when you were growing up? Yeah, I think my family's always kind of been into sports in general. I mean, you know, I can remember my grandfather and my grandmother's probably my grandmother, Kathleen, in Bastrop, Louisiana, probably had the biggest influence on me. And, and I can remember from when I was really tiny, either watching golf or football or baseball. I think probably when I was younger, they all thought I'd be a baseball player. And so that was kind of what everyone was their biggest passion. And then obviously I was, you know, in that area in North Louisiana, you're, you were a Dallas Cowboy at that time. That was long before the, the Saints were the Aints with trash bags on their heads back oh, then. Oh, I was so, gonna I was gonna ask you that. So you were a Cowboys fan. Yeah. In, oh yeah, okay. big time. I mean, North Louisiana, where I'm from, I mean, you're only three hours from Dallas. Right. You know, it's probably five hours to New Orleans. So uh, most people up in that area, that was when the Saints were pretty bad and uh, growing up. So everybody were Dallas Cowboys fans. I had a Troy Aikman jersey, an Emmitt Smith jersey, Michael Irvin. Uh, you know, that was that was my squad. Now, you you say your family thought you were going to play baseball. When did you grow? So I was more of a – got to imagine in high school, like I was a tight end for the majority of my time until, okay. I, until my senior year. So I was probably six, seven – to 20 or something my freshman or sophomore year in high school i mean i was tall and lean 
And but then, still six uh, seven. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was I was I was probably six four in eighth grade, and then my freshman year in high school, I grew like three inches. Um, and then that kind of topped out my height, and then I just kind of put on weight from there and became a lineman. But you know, I was a basketball player. I loved hoops. That was my favorite sport. And I was a baseball. I was left. I'm left handed, so I was a left handed pitcher. Um, I played it all growing up. I mean, I played tennis, uh, soccer, baseball, football, you name it. So baseball and, and football were probably the two things that I got the most. Like, man, you're really going to have a chance at this. Um, basketball was something I just love to do. I've always had a passion for it. Even when I played in the league I, in the off seasons, I'd play in little men's pickup leagues and stuff like that just because it was something I always loved to do. It's surprising. You were highly recruited uh, coming out of high school at being at the program that you were. It's surprising to me that you didn't go to a real school like the University of Georgia. You settled for LSU. Talk to me a little bit about that decision to go to to, to LSU. Well, what's wilder and even better is that I actually originally committed to the University of Florida. And I was oh. going to be a Florida Gator, which I know really fires me up. No, that would be worse. Yeah, and so I was going to be a Florida Gator. Steve Spurrier was there. You know, they were really good. Fred Taylor and Danny Werfel and those guys. And yeah, this guy, little old dude from the north named Nick Saban, took the LSU head coaching job and came in my living room with my family and convinced me that uh, I needed to be an LSU Tiger because it wasn't going to be a four-year decision. It was going to be a 40-year decision. It was going to change my life for the rest of uh, my time in, in the state of Louisiana. And uh, lo and behold, I mean, he was right. I mean, he was probably the only coach to always go back to this. When I was when I was coming up, I, I really wanted to be a tight end. So Houston Nutt was at Arkansas. Steve Spurrier was at Florida. Both played really big tight ends. Like Sean Andrews played the University of Arkansas, big right tackle there. Well, the guy who played beside him is Jason Peters, who's one of the best left tackles ever played in the NFL. He was a tight end at Arkansas. Okay. Um, so – I wanted to go be a big tight end there. That's kind of this tweener tackle tight end guy. And so I was trying kind of choosing schools that play with bigger tight ends. Nick Saban sat me down in my living room and he's like, listen, the sooner you give up your dream to play tight end, you're going to head towards your future of having an amazing football career. And I was just like, wow, this dude just walked in my living room and told me that I'm not going to be the, my dream. Like I'm not reaching my dream. But really, he was trying to tell me what my dream should be. Right. And sure enough, he was right. I mean, I moved to the tackle my senior year because of him. I decided I'd move inside and play tackle at my senior year at West Monroe. And then the rest is history. I went on to go to LSU and, and break the all-time start record in NCAA history and, and win a national championship. Yeah. Did he mention that left tackles make more money than tight ends? I'm just I'm <laughs> yeah. curious. He could have got he could have easily just started with that, I think. <laughs> but you know, uh, he, he decided to kind of come in strong and be like, hey, man, I'm just going to be really upfront with you. Like, you're going to play left tackle for the LSU Tigers if you come here and, and you're going to have an amazing career. You were redshirted your freshman year there. Was that frustrating for you? It was. There was a number of us in my class that, you know, we had, I guess, five All-Americans that I played with, that I signed with. Marcus Spears, Michael Clayton, Marquise Hill, and Jeez. Ben Wilkerson. And... We all signed the same class. Some of us redshirted, some of us didn't. And it was, you know, kind of one of those things that they knew they weren't going to be probably, you know, you got to think when you take over a guy like Nick who's got kind of a plan for the future, they didn't know who's going to really help them that year and whether they'd actually be that good. But we knew in the coming years we had a chance to be really special. So he tried his best 
to keep most of us. I unfortunately, as I always say, had the worst redshirt experience you can have because he always thought like you're one play for me putting you in there and being the left tackle. So I had to dress out, prepare to start every single week, never once touched the field, like <laughs> taped up, ready to roll. You know, all my freshman buddies are in Tiger Land, upside down, you know, taking shots at Everclear, right. sending me text messages and calls and everything else. And believe it or not, there, I don't think you could photo message at that time. So yeah. I wasn't getting any photos, but they were, you know, filling me in on what their antics were. And I'm just sitting there like, man, I got to go to the game and I'm going to stand there. I wasn't that happy. I'll say it that way. My, my freshman fall was, was a frustrating fall. Yeah. Um, you were ranked sixth in prospective offensive lineman going into college. You, you go there, you get red shirted, but obviously you, you believe King Saban that you have a, a long future ahead of you. Are you at this point, are you all in on what your future is going to be? Do you have a plan B there at LSU or are you just, we're we're going to do this and we're going to go to the NFL. No, I don't think I was somebody that dreamed that big. I mean, I, you know, I grew up with a, a my mom was a school teacher for 37 years. Uh, my dad's computer programmer, like back in the day of like, you know, the black screen with the little dots on it. And uh, he sat in an office with no windows. And my mom was a, you know, school teacher and then ended up being like the school librarian at the end of her career. Um, so we, we were very simple. And, you know, it's not like I never like, man, I didn't have stuff on the table or any of that, but I lived a very simple life and, and, um, you know, never really dreamed of anything bigger than that. So when I was in school, honestly, it was like, man, I'm just trying to be really, I, I was real competitive. Like I wanted to start, I wanted to play on the football team and I wanted to be really good. Uh, and I love to like get after it. So I wanted to always like punish myself and work so hard and, and fight and tussle with people. Like I love that. But I never really had a dream of like, what does that mean after this? And so for me, it was always like, man, if I fail at this, I'll go coach or teach or do something like that just because I love people and I love pouring into people and, and I've always been relational that way. And so um, I really didn't have any dreams bigger than just trying to make it, you know, out on the football field and be a starter for the LSU Tigers. That was that was it. Well, I did uh, I, I did read here that. Uh, to your point, uh, in your LSU career, you missed one practice, which was to attend your, your own graduation. So I would say that uh, that's that's pretty committed. You you stayed out of the well, the Everclear dens uh, there. I, you you go from redshirting your freshman year to you end up being a second round uh, draft pick going into the NFL. At what point do you realize that's going to happen? You don't have dreams of it. You're being simple, but like, at what point do you go? Oh, okay, we're we're going to do this thing. After we won the national championship, my redshirt sophomore year, that's my second year starting. Nick Saban brings me in his office, and I'll never forget this because it's it's kind of those things you always go back to. Like, you know, I'm sure you did it. Like a decision where you're like, you take a job or you don't, or you make a decision you don't. You're like, man, I wonder where I would have ended up had I decided to do that or, or maybe said no or yes, you know? And so that for me, that's that moment. He brings me in his office. I never even thought really about the NFL. I thought of the NFL as like, wow, that's insane level of football. Not like, Oh man, I'm going to get there. Right. And I go into his office and he's like, Hey man, you've played two years. You red shirted, you know, you could explore the draft if you wanted, you know, you know, I think you should. 
submit your papers and get like a, you know, because people that don't know that you can submit to the league and the scouts give you a score where they think you'll be drafted. And that's what helps kids make their decision. And so I got mine back and it was like a second or third round rating. And he's like, you do what you want to do, but I wanted you to get this. And I, I always thought it was like, I couldn't understand if he like didn't like me or like what's going on. Cause it's like, it seemed like we loved each other. You know, he loved me and, and the player I was just like, are you trying to push me out the door? Yeah. And I think he like honestly wanted me to explore like, Hey man, you need to realize how good you are at this. And like, it needs to become something you're thinking about. And, and I, I appreciate that, but I decided I wanted to stay and I stay and we don't have as good a year. We have a solid year. Nick kind of planned, you know, we kind of know the writings on the wall. He's going to leave and go to the dolphins after that year. So I, I don't have a great experience that year. And I, and I had a couple of games that kind of, I didn't think I played as well as I should have. Um, and less miles comes in and I'm like, you know what? I've always had this feeling in me that I'm like, you know, for whatever reason, I always feel like I'm responsible for people. And so I felt like in that moment, a change of head coach, a program that didn't perform as good as it did. We just won an national championship. I got a lot of senior buddies that are coming back. I don't even want to talk about leaving. So I didn't even explore leaving the next year as a redshirt junior because I'm like, I have to come back. I remember giving a speech. Nick Saban like, kind of tells the guys formally after our Iowa game when we lose my junior year, he's gone. And I remember standing up and being like, I'm going to be back here. You know, we're going to get after it and do what we're supposed to do, blah, 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 blah. And I just felt compelled to do it in the moment with no real reasoning for the decision. And I came back and played another year. So I ended up playing all five years at LSU and becoming a second round pick. So it's crazy how it worked out. And I still go back sometimes to that day in his office and think like, what if I just decided to leave? Because my rating didn't really change in those two years. How different would my career look or where would I have ended up? Would I have been mature enough to handle the league? All, all those questions. Right. That's so interesting. I've never heard that before of a coach pulling you in and actually encouraging you to go because it seems, you know, uh, you know, I mean, let's just be real. Like you're a good player. You're obviously going to help him do what he wants to do, which is win. That's a, that's a great story. That's really, yeah. really impressive. I think if you think about it, it's a little bit, you look at what he does at Alabama now, how fast those kids get in and out. I think it's a little bit of a vision of the more kids I graduate, come here, play, are successful and end up in the NFL, the easier it is for me to tell the next kid that's what his future looks like. And so I think that's why he kind of, you know, is plays that line a little bit of like, hey, when I got really special ones that I may need to get into the league and be able to show this example, I'll recruit the next one based off of this guy. And I think that's kind of the vision he's always had for it is to keep those guys coming in and out. You deserve to treat yourself, so turn your tax refund into a U-fund and give yourself a Straight Talk Wireless Extended Silver Unlimited plan and a brand new Samsung A14 on them. Straight Talk Unlimited plans start at $25 a line per month for four lines. You're going to save so much, you're going to be enjoying that refund all year long. It's the refund that keeps on refunding. Who wouldn't like a few extra bucks in their pocket? I certainly would. Money for a golf round, perhaps? Tickets to a concert or a game? 
Straight Talk is a great everyday value on wireless. Plus, it all runs on the most reliable 5G network in America. So treat yourself to Straight Talk today. Find Straight Talk at straighttalk.com or at your local Walmart store. Taxes and fees not included. Offer valid through April 14th, 2024 while supplies last. Online only. Must purchase a Straight Talk extended silver unlimited plan to qualify. Limit of five phones per customer. Family plan discount with four lines all on the silver unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. Straight Talk utilizes the network with the most first place rankings and root metrics. 1H 2023 5G reliability assessments of 125 metros. Results may vary. Not in endorsement martha stewart the original influencer when i think about anything i think about the way that she did it first the media mogul the six years ahead she saw what was coming the prisoner the rise the fall and the reinvention of an american icon once martha paved the road everybody else pretty much copied her a cnn original series the many lives of martha stewart now streaming on max Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough introspection that I learn something about myself. I honestly can't gush enough about Freaky Tales. I'm so excited to share it with more people. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast. Two thousand six NFL draft. After five years at LSU, you get drafted by the Cincinnati Bengals. Talk to me a little bit about the experience for you of the draft. Is this like my dream has come true? Uh, it was. The problem was I was going through a lot of turmoil personally. So you know, I end up uh, senior year at LSU, kind of uh, you know, been in a relationship the majority of the back half of my uh, college career with a girl and. We get married, end up not a good idea for either one of us, uh, not going well. I think it lasted all of maybe, I don't know, five months of actually being married. Uh, maybe that, that might be a stretch. And so things are not good there. Go through the draft experience together or whatever, but still not that great. I'm two weeks after I get drafted to Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, excited as heck to be there. I still love the story. The, the secretary there called me like the day after I got drafted and she's like, Hey, next Friday, we got to have you here, whatever. And I'm like, well, I get in on Thursday. She's like, what do you mean you get on Thursday? I'm like, well, I already, I just booked my own personal flight. Like I'm, I'm coming in on Thursday. And she's like, okay, you're excited <laughs> to get to work. I, you didn't even wait for us to tell you when you could come. I love it. But that was like my eagerness to get there and get going. And so two weeks after I get drafted, I'm at Marvin Lewis's uh, event. He had a found, he has a great foundation in Cincinnati. My phone's blowing up, and I'm like, man, I don't know who's calling me so much tonight. So I finally walk out of the event, get on my phone, and it's one of my best friends in life, Michael Peterson. And he says, hey, man, I need you to go somewhere and talk to me. I said, what's up? He's like, uh, it's Lee. And I'm like, okay, what's going on? He's like, he was killed. And so I, uh, my close friend and college roommate, Lee Deal, uh, was a uh, served in the Navy, was a doc for a uh, special recon team. He was killed in action two weeks to the day after I was drafted almost. And 
uh, crazy experience in life. I always say it's it's been one of those things. It's, it's horrific. You never want to go through it again, but it's also been something I think that saved my entire career because where I was at in life, I think I took a lot of things for granted in general. And so I spent my entire NFL career from that moment on. I've always said, if you find a national anthem that I'm on the video, there's tears in my eyes and and uh, most of the time a tear dropping down my face. And it's not really something to do as much about the anthem as much as there was always this moment I'd see the flag, I'd hear the anthem, and it would remind me, boy, there's a lot of things through the week that I stress out about and think about. And, man, I get to stand here today because one of my best friends in life sacrificed the ultimate sacrifice for me to get to have this freedom to do what I'm doing right now. So it gave me a constant reminder for 16 years how special what it is I get to do each and every Sunday. That's incredible. God, what a... What a crazy story and what a gift for you. Yep. That's great. It is, man. Yeah. It is. I uh, I had the unique honor, one of the coolest things I have for my NFL playing career, and that includes everything, the trophy, you name it. Um, I have a actually a, a framed picture. Uh, that led to Michael and Daniel Watson become SEALs years down the road. The SEALs are training in Kentucky, and I find out about it and invite them to a, a Steelers-Bengals game get him a suite at the stadium through like work through the Bengals, get him a suite just happens to be Jim Boehner's there. A lot of like political folks are in town. They go visit them, kind of make this awesome experience for them. Well, these guys take this Bengals flag they gave them and flew it on their next deployment and took pictures with all their machinery and everything and their guns, you name it, holding the flag up and got it framed and gave me their American flag that went with them and the bingo flag that we gave them and framed it up for me. And I, and I kept it. I took the frame and I actually put it. It was the back of my locker in Cincinnati. Wow. That was the back side of my locker. So every day I could look at it. But it's still one of the coolest things uh, that I've ever received playing NFL football. Yeah. There's, there's a, a, a lot of talk around the league about a lack of support given – from the Bengals organization to their players in terms of facilities, support in that way. Is that fair or is that not fair criticism? You know, I think what's tough about it is obviously I think it's a lot harder for your smaller families that kind of that's their only business in the NFL to operate financially in the NFL model, because a lot of people, you know, who don't realize it, but, you know, your Jerry Jones, your Cronkies, you know, some of these guys right. in the world, they have these other massive businesses that have really led to their worth and, and really how they're able to operate so freely in the world of using the NFL's money to their, to make the team as good as possible. I think it is a lot harder, but it's not that it couldn't be done. And so I think at times really the critique when I got to Cincinnati, obviously, you know, that's one of the things I think people don't give Marvin Lewis enough credit for is, when he took over that team, I mean, you know, zero real scouting department structure, not many facility things that anybody would want to play there for uh, other than moving into the stadium they were in. But, I mean, my entire career there, we never had an indoor. We never had any of those things. Our indoor was to go inside the stadium, which is open air, and practice in the snow on the turf, uh, which I don't know why we did that because it only the turf's only harder when it's cold. So uh, it didn't make a lot of sense. But it sounded good. We're going in the, we're going inside today. Uh, but yeah, I mean, when I first got there, we ate our meals out of what used to be like a closet. They literally just rolled in trays of food and you'd walk through there and then you'd sit in the basketball gym. And that's 
literally where you ate. And <laughs> it was just it, way different than what they experience now. But I think it is a fair criticism to say you wish they were more aggressive. I know I've always been critical in the sense of I think they did a wonderful job of putting together teams and stuff when I was there. We were really successful. We just didn't find a way to win a playoff game. Yeah. But I mean, shoot, we went to the playoffs six times while I was there, won a bunch of division championships. But I always thought in 2011 to 15, when I, we really had our run with Andy Dalton and A.J. Green, Geno Atkins and those guys, I was always critical of here you are with all this self, you know, you drafted them talent. You're not bringing in guys from other places. You drafted all these guys. So they're all draft picks and they're all slotted in the draft. You've had all the success. You're this good. Like, why is there no investment to like one free agent or one trade to just like, all right, we keep getting there, like almost winning. Like we're that good. Then why not just some kind of like investment to say, let's be even better. I think that's one of the things that Joe Burrow really changed. You know, I think his attitude going there in the draft and who he is, you can see that their mindset's changed. In the last three years, I mean, they've probably signed more free agents than they signed the entire 11 years I was there. Um, so it, it's interesting to see that it really looks like they've completely changed uh, under this new era with Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow and T. Higgins and those guys. But um, they never would have gone and gotten a Trey Hendrickson you know, or a DJ Reader or any of those guys when I, when I was there. That just isn't, wasn't something they did. And so it, that was always my point. It's like, man, I understand y'all need to be tight with things, but why isn't there like a, a buy-in when we are successful to say, what if we just took that next leap? I think you'd all benefit financially and everything else. Right. Um, talk to me about a little bit about stepping on the field for the first time in the NFL. Was this like my dream has come true? <laughs> you know, I – I think it would have been, except for for me, my first time, um, you know, I played left tackle at LSU. And my first real experience starting, um, I played against the Cleveland Browns as a guard, which is a little easier um, from the sense of you're in a little box and you don't feel as exposed as as you are as a tackle. So that part wasn't as bad. But I remember my first left tackle snap, which is what I really call living on that island, Mm -hmm. like a corner, no doubt in the man-to-man corner. We're playing in Tampa. Levi Jones is our left tackle. And I'm at the game. You know, I'm not starting or anything that week. And I'd only started against Cleveland because somebody was injured. So this is like week four or five. And Levi goes down in the first quarter. So it's a a TV timeout for his injury. My coach yells at me, you know, "Get, get out there. And so I run out there. And I get in the huddle at left guard. And I move the left guard to left tackle because that's how we played against Cleveland. And I'm like, no way he's putting me on the edge. Like, that's Simeon Rice over there. And so he's – I can see my coach is, like, frantically making all these arm gestures like he's, like, pissed off. And I'm like, man, what is going on? And I, I kind of see him over the sideline. I'm trying to, like, half ignore him and, kind of like, lock in. I'm, I'm starting now. I'm playing in this game and it means something. And then finally, Carson Palmer, our quarterback, over the headset, like somebody's telling him something over the headset. He's like, wait, like, move. Like, you're playing left tackle. And I'm like, what, what, huh? Like, not me? So I literally look over there at Paul Alexander, my line coach. I like point at my chest, like me, move over to left tackle. And he's like, yes, move over. And so I move over there and I'm like, oh boy, let's go. Simeon Rice, this is going to be a blast. Um, and I, I have no idea how bad I couldn't go look at that one. I, it probably was really ugly. I didn't give up a sack and I did a pretty good job. So I was very content. 
But the next week, it didn't get any easier. I faced Julius Peppers and Mike Rucker, who at that time, I think, led the NFL in sacks. And from then on, it was uh, playing left tackle and, and the challenge each and every week of being a rookie left tackle in the league. I ended up starting 10 games that year. And it was insane, man. Crazy experience. I can remember in my mind, like being on the field with Brett Favre and Ray Lewis and guys who I'm like, man, I, I idolize this guy. Like, how am I standing on the field with Terrell Owens and all these guys? It was like every week you'd get over to the bench and kind of look over the offense that's on the field. And you're like, man, wait, oh my God, I'm on the same field as that guy. Like, this is crazy. <laughs> Like, we're in the same place. We have the same job. Uh, it's unbelievable. Well, I know in uh, 2014, you're still facing a lot of those guys and others. Uh, you allowed zero sacks and only one quarterback hit on Andy Dalton, named second-team AP NFL All-Pro. Is that is that your greatest accomplishment? I mean, zero sacks and one hit? From the left tackle position? Uh, it was position? a really good year. It, it was a really good year. Uh, <laughs> I'll say that. You know, what's wild is is that kind of led to me becoming a Los Angeles Ram. And that's, okay. um, it's insane to think, like, that's how it all worked out. But, yeah, it was, a, it was a great year, and it was a year that I was so committed to. I think I finally hit this point, you know, when people say, hey, you know, years down the road, I'd play a, be the first ever lineman to start a game at 40 years old. Um, as a starting left tackle, it started from that moment because I'd really committed that offseason. Like, you know what? I feel really good. And I think I could do this for a long time if I just keep this exact regimen. And that kind of started it off. That year I was fired up to make a difference and do something different. Hugh Jackson uh, was coming in as our offensive coordinator. And and, I, and Hugh and I always hit it off. And, and we were both fiery guys. And so we kind of got each other going every week. And Man, I just I had a lot of fun playing football that year, much less the success. And it really kind of, I think, you know, shot me on the direction to what would lead to an insane finish to my career. Um, we talked about your near perfect attendance record in college. You played 168 out of 176 games in your 11 sing, uh, seasons with the Bengals. You you don't take Tylenol. Uh, is that is that true? Yeah, I, you know, what happened is like year five or six, uh, you know, you're sitting there, Brian, and you, you're like bored in the offseason. And I'm watching Roadhouse for like the 178th time. And not just for the scene of Angel Eyes uh, when he picks her up in the room, but also because, you know, I loved Roadhouse and, and I loved like the mentality that, that, you know, he took on in that. And so, the scene where she's stapling him in the hospital and he's like, inevitably like pain is just pain. Like you got to get used to it. Right. And just kind of unflinching. And so I was in my fifth, sixth year in the league and I was like, man, I'm watching guys line up in lines for toward all shots, ordering toward all online and taking it throughout the week and just crushing every anti-inflammatory pain pill and you name it. And I was like, man, I just, I feel like, I see all these guys develop a need like they have to to be able to function every day. They have to have all this stuff. Why can't it work the other way? Right. And I was like, I, I was watching that show and I got done watching it and I was like, you know what? Like, what if I just took a year and said, no, I'm not taking anything. No, no medicine, nothing. Just like Patrick Swayze says it, <laughs> like no meds, no pills, nothing. And I'm like, let's do it. And so I did it. And 
I saw a drastic difference in just how I was able to kind of understand my body and feel things I needed to work on, feel things that I needed to get worked on per se. And, and so it just became a thing. And so after that, it was like everywhere I went, no matter what the injury was, I'd be like, look, man, unless you're telling me that like I can't get on the field next week, uh, I'm out. And so like, yeah, was there an occasional like, you know, like they give you the prednisone or something like that. If you, you've got some significant injury and they don't right. know if you'll be able to recover in time. I mean, yeah, I've done that before, but no weekly, daily stuff. I actually, until my last two years in LA, uh, I basically took nothing for about seven years. And my last two years in LA, just because at my age, it was a lot harder to do that. On actual game day, I would take like two Tylenol just to kind of take the edge off a little bit in the morning, you know, because the thing was when you're 39 and 40 showing up on the field, uh, like I always say, it's like a box of chocolates. Uh, every Sunday, I have no idea what, what I'm going to wake up and feel like that morning. It's like, oh, crap. Uh, it's one of those days, you know, daddy's not in the mood today. I got to find it somehow. So right. coffee, take some Tylenol and get going. I took Tordol for the first time this year. Did I tell That's you this? Cool. In, in, in Tahoe, I, yeah, and... I'll tell you, I'd never heard of, I didn't know what, I mean, I, I heard it and really not ever understood what it was. It's uh for those of you who don't know, and you were like me until like two months ago, it's basically an anti-inflammatory ibuprofen, like on steroids, which is, yeah. that's a weird, actually, you shouldn't say steroids, I guess, but it's a very big, powerful anti-inflammatory. And I'll tell you what. My back didn't hurt playing golf yeah. six days, six, six rounds in six days. I, uh, I felt pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. That's how, that's kind of really part of it for me is that I wanted to get to a point where if I ever actually needed it or actually needed some Tylenol, I wanted to have a drastic effect on me. Like, oh, right. That makes sense. And so that's really where it was. It's like, man, you get injured one week and it's whether or not you play the next week. I want to be able to feel like, man, that, that has a drastic effect. And and so, you know, that's really where it started. And then it became just kind of stubborn, like, you know, and then obviously also, you know, I was also a, uh, as O-line and guys would tell you, like, I never allowed anybody to get me off the ground. So I was like super just obsessive anal about that. Like, I know if I was going to work out or I'm on the field, I get up myself, like, don't put your hand out there because you're going to think I'm an asshole. Like, I'm not going to take it. But I just don't, I don't. Nobody gets me off the ground but me. If I'm going to be 30-something years old playing football, I got to get my own butt off the ground and uh, realize I signed up for this. That's a great transition to being a Ram. That's, that's part of what it was about. 2017, you sign with the Rams, and your buddy Sean McVay, you move out west. Was it difficult for you to leave Cincy? Crazy. You know, I, I, I don't know how much we've really even talked about it, but that, you know, Melissa and I over the time, but it's we signed – uh, I guess it was like March 10th, not somewhere in there, April 2nd, my family had sold the house, moved out of Cincinnati. We lived in a house that we were renting in California in one month in basically three and a half weeks, something like that. My wife, she flew home. The crazy part of that story is I signed the contract and flew out here with my wife and three kids. And when you're an offensive lineman, Brian, I don't get like, they don't send the G4 to pick you up. Okay. <laughs> you know, I, I was, at, I actually, that was. You're on Melissa's Southwest. Yeah, me and Melissa's favorite moment ever. I think I think it's Sean McVay's favorite story ever. But since uh, we won the Super Bowl, but I'm on the flight in the very back row with my wife and my three kids. The toilets just you know I'm getting all the fumes. 
the whole flight. We connect to Salt Lake City to to LA. And I am, it's a, one of those bumpy winter flights where, you know, flight attendants can't even get up. And I'm just sitting on here in this back row. My kids are crying. What are, I'm like, what are we doing? This is the <laughs> dumbest thing ever. Let's go back to Fort Thomas. Right. You know, get these kids on a play set. Like, you know, it, we're fine. And I tell my wife, I'm like, listen, you need to buckle up and understand we've given up Super Bowl hopes. Like, it's over. We're leaving Cincinnati where we've gone to the playoffs a bunch of times. This team hasn't had a winning season in 15 years. Like, Super Bowl's over. This is about us going there and changing a culture, you know, being willing to help the wives, help the players. Like, this is all this is about. And us going there and being servants to this organization, and that's what they're really paying me to do. Come play good football and teach these guys how to play good football and and change the culture of what's going on there. And Melissa told Sean that story when we first got to L.A., and so he has never let me live it down <laughs> since we went to two Super Bowls and won one. But right. it, it's the truth of like how I signed there. It was, it was it was very like, man, I'm going here. This isn't about me. This is about this place. And I never left. So I signed the contract. I said, Melissa, this is one of those moments where you're going to have to just forgive me on this. I can't leave. I can't go back. Cincinnati means too much to me. Uh, it would hurt my heart too much to fly back there now. I just, I need you this month. If we could just do this, like, let's go all in together. If you can go back to Cincinnati, I'll get your parents up there, whoever you need to help you move us out of the house and take care of the kids. I'm going to stay here. So I never left LA after I saw And last year I called the Bengals Rams game in the preseason as a retired Super Bowl champion. That was the first time I stepped back in Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, since I signed my contract. Really? Yeah. Pretty well. It was a pretty emotional game. I played it off, but it was a pretty emotional day to be there last year. It's just crazy for me. I mean, I invested everything I had in that place. You know, I just couldn't go back. You deserve to treat yourself. So turn your tax refund into a U-fund and give yourself a Straight Talk Wireless Extended Silver Unlimited plan and a brand new Samsung A14 on them. Straight Talk Unlimited plans start at $25 a line per month for four lines. You're going to save so much, you're going to be enjoying that refund all year long. It's the refund that keeps on refunding. Who wouldn't like a few extra bucks in their pocket? I certainly would. Money for a golf round, perhaps? Tickets to a concert or a game? Straight Talk is a great everyday value on wireless. Plus, it all runs on the most reliable 5G network in America. So treat yourself to Straight Talk today. Find Straight Talk at straighttalk.com or at your local Walmart store. Taxes and fees not included. Offer valid through April 14th, 2024, while supplies last. Online only. Must purchase a Straight Talk Extended Silver Unlimited plan to qualify. Limit of five phones per customer. Family plan discount with four lines all on the Silver Unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. Straight Talk utilizes the network with the most first place rankings and root metrics. 1H 2023 5G reliability assessments of 125 metros. Results may vary. Not an endorsement as someone who lives for politics when a major scandal unfolds it was shocking i have to know what were they thinking backroom deals huge amounts of money cia secrets sets off a firestorm in washington affairs no way this guy's got a mistress corruption i knew i was a dead man warning it's even messier than you thought 
United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper, Sunday at 9 on CNN. Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell, they're with us today on Crew Call. I'm your host, Anthony DeLisandro. Billie's vocals, it was automatic art. You know, I had to like choose a more challenging route than just like da 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 da. You know what I'm saying? Like it could have been like easier. And a lot of people have asked me like, how did you choose to have it be so soft and like so simple? And what else was it going to like? That's what the song wanted. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call podcast on Deadline. Are you a Bengal or a Ram? Uh, I'm both. I mean, I'm too invested in both places to, to oh not be. God, what a, what a what a weenie answer. God. Come on, Brad. I, I've been around longer than that. You're not going to get me on that. <laughs> Let's go. Uh, you said it. Two Super Bowls with the Rams, including your very last game. I mean, you're playing... You're playing against twenty somethings. You're in your in your late thirties, uh, uh, forty before you retired. Are you feeling that age difference? And do you consider it an advantage at all for you? I do think, from a preparation and experience standpoint, it's definitely an advantage. But body wise, no. I mean, I you know, right. My last five years was literally about finding ways to recreate myself, to recreate me. I know what I needed to do to get the job done, but you know, you start to lose the ability. And I think that's what people don't understand when we say, I mean, guys falling off is it's not necessarily that like, if you tested me in the 40 or bench press or whatever, that the numbers would be that different. It's that you start to lose the ability for your brain to make your body do exactly what you feel in the moment. And so I started to lose the explosion to get off the line as a left tackle into my set and like, oh man, I want to put my hand here, but like for whatever reason, I just seem to have lost the ability to put it exactly where I want to. And I just slow and I can see like when I watch a fight or I watch MMA or anything like older fighters, when they're struggling, like I know exactly what's going on because I, I know the feeling of like what becomes the challenge. And so it's that your body doesn't listen to you as well as it used to. You might know what you need to do, but you can't get it to do it. And so that started to become a challenge. And so for me, it was like I got lighter. I tried to play to really uh, lightly, way less weight than I played earlier in my career so I could move a little better and more efficiently. But I'll never forget, you know, part of my get up story on your own is I signed my deal. Two months later, I'm in OTAs, the very first OTA practice. Aaron Cromer is my online coach, a hilarious guy, passionate dude about football and a great coach. And I get the tight end beside me goes the wrong way on our first play and just completely rolls me up. And I mean, it freaking it hurts so bad. I'm rolling around in the dirt, like on my knee. And all I hear from the back where all the coaches and players stand is, you signed a damn contract, get up off the ground. And I knew it was Aaron Cromer. And I was like, this, you know, you just with him know enough, like a new producer or something, you know, like I know how he is. He's kind of a guy who likes to push buttons. So I'm like half pissed off and laughing at the same time. Like, all right. All right, dude. Like, shut up. And I, I'm going to get up, you know. So I got up, dusted myself off and him and I laughed about this day. But that's how it started. And it was like, you know what? I'm here. I did sign that contract. And so I got to give my time and energy to it. And I love hearing these stories right now, currently, about Aaron 
Rogers being in the New York and sitting at a different table every day and, and what he's done. Because that was the big thing I always said. I always thought the biggest difference for me is that when I got there, that was my MO. I would, every day I'm sitting with a different position group. I'm walking in this place not as the 11-year vet who's been to Pro Bowls and an All-Pro, blah, blah, blah. I'm walking in as I'm here to help this team win. And so every day I try to spend time with those groups. And that's why I still have some really crazy, cool bonds from that time. And I'll never forget Sean holding the meeting and letting the guys vote and being voted a captain that year and thinking to myself, like, what a cool moment, you know, to, to 36 years old, to change teams, become a leader of a place that fast. And, but more importantly, like just develop this culture of, of all of us being on the same page from what wasn't that way before we got there. And it was really special and it led to really, you know, where my career would go from then on. After 11 seasons, obviously, your first year with the Rams, you go to the Super Bowl. Should you have won? You know, that was my actually my second season. So the first season. Oh, second you know, 11, season. Yes. First season, we win the division, go 11-5, and five, and then lose uh, to the Falcons yeah. in the playoffs. And at that time, I became the uh, – the NFL player with the worst record in, in the playoffs in NFL history. I was Owen, I think it was Owen eight or Owen seven in the playoffs at that time. And that was the record for a player. So really awesome. Uh, <laughs> great thing to be known for. But the next year we have a, a great year. Todd Gurley goes crazy again. Um, and we end up in the, in the playoffs, win our, my first ever playoff game against the Dallas Cowboys. I'll never forget it. Uh, which is also kind of crazy. Just think about it now. My team growing up, team growing up, first ever time to win a playoff game, but end up in the in the Super Bowl and lose to the New England Patriots and probably the worst game we played all season long. Uh, just a bad performance for who we were offensively and everything else. Defense played great. We just let them down. It, it was a tough thing to swallow because at that point I'm 38, going on 39. And every single person, you know, Super Bowl week's insane with media and everything else. Every question is like, what do you think about this being your last game ever? Like everyone just, it was like assumed, like this was it. So when I walked off that field, I was okay with, uh, if it is it, you know what, it's been an insane run. I don't feel like it's it, but maybe the Rams make that decision for me. Mm. And what leads to one of the coolest sports moments when people say, what's your coolest sports moment? You know, walking off that field and looking up at my, at that time, I guess he was seven, eight years old, Michael, my middle son, and he's crying in his mama's lap because he didn't think we'd lose either. And I never knew NFL films had the audio and a video camera on me because I wasn't mic'd up. I don't remember being mic'd up, but maybe I was. And I literally look up and find where they're sitting. He's sitting in her lap and he's crying. The only way I knew how to make an eight-year-old like try to put a smile on that moment so he can't hear me was to flex my muscles at him and make him flex his back. And still gives me chills to think about it. So he, he like ball and cry and like tries to like half get a smile out, you know, and his smile comes out and he's crying. And he's flexing his muscles. And I just told him like, we're going to be okay, buddy. Like this ain't the end of the world for us. And I go off and I have the quote of the year, which is still <laughs> idiot. I've been around media long enough to know not to talk emotionally because they're going to dissect it. But at the end of the day, we're all going to die. And I'll never forget that literally went everywhere. And I'm like, you know what? That's not what I said, but it is what I said. The guy asked me how you go forward from this moment 
you know, having lost the Super Bowl and ending your career, basically. And I'm like, kind of like, one, insulted, like, this ain't the end of my career. Who said it's the end of my career? Two, I'm like, bro, listen, I care a lot about football. Love it. It's a passion of mine. This ain't the end all be all of life part. So let me explain to you who I am. So I said, the actual whole quote was, I don't care if you've won 20 Super Bowls, been to 100 Pro Bowls, whatever it was, you know, the exact numbers. But at the end of the day, we're all going to die. And what's going to matter to me ain't going to be some trophy sitting on a wall or some Pro Bowl that I've been to. What's going to matter is if Sarah Elise, Drew, Andrew James Jr., Michael Lee Whitworth, and Catherine Whitworth love people, care about people, and treat people the same way they want to be treated, regardless of where they come from, their economic status, their skin color, or anything else. If they are quality human beings who love and treat people the way they should and have, get the fulfillment of life through that, I don't give a crap about a Super Bowl, right? Like, right. that's going to matter to me. And so that's what I said. But, of course, the only thing I quoted is saying is at the end of the day, we're all going to die. So, which is way more entertaining. I agree. I mean, it's a lot funnier. So, anyways, have that great moment. And uh, I'll still never live that one. I think my wife quotes me that anytime she's mad at me. Like, hey, you want to drop another quote? Uh, end of the day, we're all going to die. Like, well, you don't retire. Spoiler alert. And 2022. I mean, it's it's like this perfect symbolic. Uh, I don't even. I I can't even say the words. But basically, you play the Bengals and you beat the Bengals in the Super Bowl. You win your first Super Bowl, and then you ride off into the sunset. Talk to me about yeah. And I uh, and and the close of that is you know that week, you know life comes full circle at you. I shared the Lee Deal story about Lee dying and and. The thankfuls have that. Well, that led and, and then also getting divorced. And that led to me being really lonely when I was in Cincinnati as a rookie. And I started going to the local boys and girls club and developing a relationship with a kid named Eric Barnes. And I, that week I'm playing in the Super Bowl against the Cincinnati Bengals, which is just insane. I mean, I don't claim to have a movie there, but there is kind of a movie there. I'm playing against the Cincinnati Bengals and I win Walter Payton Man of the Year. And I decided when they asked me what I wanted to say that I wanted to talk about Derek Barnes. And that season, Derek Barnes played a uh, middle linebacker for the Detroit Lions, unbeknownst to me. And after the game, runs up to me and he's like, Big Wit, like it's me. You're not going to remember me. I'm Derek Barnes. You and I used to hang out when I was a little kid, like six, seven, eight years old at the Boys and Girls Club in Cincinnati, you throw the football and hang out, talk about life. And like, I've been waiting this entire season for this game. And I hoped you'd be healthy and like playing because I, I just couldn't wait to tell you I made it. And I remember just what I blacked out. Like, it was such an insane moment like that I was like, wow. And then fast forward that game, that season to the Super Bowl week and win Walter Payton Man of the Year, and they find out I'm going to talk about this because you have to send in what you're going to talk about. And they fly Derek Barnes there, and he's in the crowd for the Walter Payton Man of the Year, and I win it, and I get to give this speech and talk about it. And uh, what a just insane moment, crazy, crazy emotional moment. And then three days later, you play in the Super Bowl against a team you gave your heart and soul to. You win it. And to close that story, I ran and gave Joe Burrow a hug, Zach Taylor, and I ran to look up at my family just to make 
eye contact with them and tell them I love them. And Michael Lee Whitworth, who was crying in his mama's lap in 2018, is standing at the front of the Raptors, both arms up, biceps flexed up, you know, 10 years old and thinks he runs the world now uh, yeah. with a massive smile. And it's still one of the coolest moments for me that I'll, I'll never forget the image of one, him crying in the first one, and two, him standing there making eye contact with me in the second one, that it, that it hit home. He couldn't wait, you know, for <laughs> redemption. And what a special moment. That's awesome. God, that's just so, I mean, yeah, it is like a movie because it's, it's crazy. Yeah. It's yeah. You can't, you can't imagine it. And I, and I know how much the Bing, I mean, clearly it, it's so clear here how much the Bengals organization means to you. And, you know, hopefully they are on a path now that, that brings them success. It certainly looks like they will over the next few years. Um, I got to talk about your foundation, big wit 77 foundation, not only, the winner of the 2021 Walter Payton Man of the Year Award, which many consider to be the most prestigious award given to an NFL player every year. Also in 2019, you win the Allen Page Community Award winner because you leave Fort Thomas, Kentucky, and you come to LA and immediately make an impact here, giving money and helping and made an impression here. You're still in Los Angeles now. I know you're working for Thursday Night Football Tell people how they can become involved or what Big Wit 77 Foundation is doing now. Yeah, you know, I think for us, when we lived in Louisiana and played in Cincinnati, we kind of created a foundation to help us do stuff when we're in Louisiana. And then much like I do here in L.A., uh, we just kind of personally served in Cincinnati, whether it be different foundations through the Boys and Girls Club and Big Brothers Big Sisters, you name it. Uh, really all kinds of foundations in Cincinnati that we got to be a part of. It was great and an amazing experience being part of that community. And then we created some of our own little things that we would do Christmas time and things like that. But then I got to be a part of Marvin Lewis's foundation, which did a lot of stuff in schools um, and helping develop education for kids and those things. So I had a lot of things that I could take with me when I came to LA and I was like, man, I want to do some stuff. Um, the Rams, you know, had just moved there. Uh, a year right. before I got there. So they'd only been there one year moving back from St. Louis. So they didn't really have a lot of things in the ground doing that kind of stuff yet. They were trying and getting it going. So it was great timing for me to get involved and, and already have a background, of things that have worked for me and things that hadn't. So in LA, it's it's been insane. I mean, one of the coolest moments of that year winning Walter Payton was when I actually got told I was nominated again, I think which was my fifth time being nominated. They had a, created a board. Um, that you could literally press the button like an app and it'd show you whatever area that was and whatever I had done, whatever I'd done in that community, they'd have somebody who was speaking and they'd kind of tell you what, you know, their appreciation was for what you've done and maybe tell the story. And so there was like, I forget the number, it was like 40 something spots all over Los Angeles. And it literally like was so cool because it mapped the, like all over the city. It was so wide range. It was just insane to look at it and go back and think of the five years that there's been that many places you've had an impact and got to do something and be a part of, whether it was through social justice stuff, like I created a fund with the Rams myself that I matched every dollar that the players and coaches gave. Um, you know, I created two STEM labs. I built two STEM labs in schools. Um, done a lot of school awesome. visits and things like that. And so it was an insane experience, you know, really being a part of all that. 
So I think that the best thing to me that people can do is it's really not about me. Just find a ways, man, to, to make people's day. As I've always said, like, I don't care if you're in college and you're struggling, like, open the door for somebody and see somebody drop their backpack, like help them pick it up. You know, like those little things matter a lot more than people think. So to me, like, it's not about a dollar amount somebody can give me or do for me, but man, look for ways that you can make life about more than just you. And I bet you'll find out you'll be a whole lot happier. So I think for me, that's really what it's all been about. There's no one mission. There's no one foundation. Right. It's like, man, Tell me somewhere that I can like put my hand out and help somebody up. I'm all in. It takes just as much energy to be nice as it does to be an asshole. That's the truth. That's my philosophy. Um, you're at th- on Thursday night football. You guys got a ton of press, really, really entertaining, a new, uh, a new, I would say fun kind of uh, pre and post and a halftime show there. You having fun doing it? It's been a blast. Um, I never thought I would do it. I mean, I, throughout my entire career, I avoided all media stuff. Um, never really wanted to have a social presence like social media, any of that type of stuff, really, for the most part. I mean, but I got into it because I just got I was like, man, how can it when I retired? It was like all these things were thrown at me. There was a lot of insanely cool offers to like stay involved in the game of football, whether it be in a front office somewhere or anything, just because people kind of knew my passion for that kind of stuff. But I just felt like that wasn't what I wanted to do to still have all the family time I wanted. So I kept trying to explore what's another option to stay involved in this game, talk about this game, talk about something I love that's changed my life. And that became like, hey, well, you could always do this. And at that point, as you know, in TV and everything else, like I am so like we're talking about six months from now. you're so behind the eight ball, like, buddy. They've given those jobs out a long time ago, and so I literally like just start bugging the crap out of people. Like I'm like, you give me. I've always been that kind of person. Like I would tell people, like, hey, like I'll never forget, like sitting down with Josh Pye at the first time, and he's just like, well, man, that's these decisions are like kind of made pretty while back. Like I don't know what we do from here, and I'm like, man, listen, Josh, put me in the room. I'll do the rest. Like that's all I want. Like you get me in that room. I'll, I'll handle the rest or get me a chance to speak to somebody on the phone. Like that's how much I care. Like, and if people care and, and they like me, then great to work. If it doesn't, Oh, well. And so, you know, we went through that process and, and it was crazy and I had no idea where I'd end up. And Thursday night sounded really cool to be able to like coach my kids throughout the week, go somewhere and do a game and talk about a game and then be back Saturdays for their games. I was like, man, this, this would be awesome. And sure enough, I got an opportunity to be a contributor. One thing led to another and you get an op to sit on the desk one week and they're like, we liked it. Come back. And then, (laughs) you know, you go from being a contributor to like, you know, hey, we're going to have you sit up there every week and you're going to be part of this team. And, And so it was it was an insane, crazy, so much fun, such a humbling experience to get to be up there every week. I mean, Richard Sherman, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Carissa, Tony Gonzalez. I mean, insane to sit at that desk with some awesome, iconic people, really. Uh, and then you, you add Michael Smith and Taylor Rooks. And, man, I mean, what a cool – I mean, what a just insane crew. And then, by the way, there's Al Michaels and Kirk Herbstreet calling the game. And Kaylee Hartung, who's an LSU Tiger, you know, lover. And I've known Kaylee forever. Uh, honestly, it couldn't have been more of a family from the jump. And I always tell people, to me, that's what sticks out for folks. I mean, I, I don't really go back and watch our stuff. I'm not, I, don't, I can't do that very well. But 
I do know what we're like. I can't either, by the way. I can't yeah, either. I can't so that's, oh, that's the weirdest thing ever. Yeah. Uh, but it sticks out. When we go somewhere on the road, everyone meets up, everyone's at dinner, everyone's together in the hotel, in the lobby. You know, it's like you can hardly work out or function or do anything because it's like we all have to be together every five seconds. And so um, you can just tell that they put a really unique group of uh, just we're a family from the jump. And it's, it's been a lot of fun. That's awesome. Best team in the AFC this year is? Oh, man. I mean, I don't know that you'll ever go against what Patrick Mahomes pulled off last year. I mean, I, I learned my lesson. I was the person right there with everybody else. Tyreek Hill's gone. You know, they're not going to be as good. I, I'm just I'm biting the whole cheese. You know, look, I love Patrick. I think he's amazing. Only so much he can do. I was an idiot right there with everybody else at the end of the day. So, you know, I don't, I'll never pick against, pick against Patrick until somebody else proves me different. So I'm going Kansas City Chiefs again. I will say this. I think there's some really intriguing teams. Like, I got this sneaky – like, I just feel like Baltimore or Pittsburgh, no, I feel like people aren't respecting those two teams and how talented they really are. Pittsburgh, you know what? Mike Tomlin's a dog, man. I mean, that dude every year finds a way to win. And this year – you go look at Mike Tomlin's history when they're good on D-line and O-line. They're pretty special. They have pretty good years because of just the way that dude coaches football. And so I think they're going to be pretty good up front on both sides. And I think it's going to be interesting to see where that team ends up. And then I think Baltimore is like that team nobody's talking about. They really has the, the roster to end up being pretty daggum good at the end of the year. So I think there's some sneaky teams that are going to be interesting to see. Uh, the Jets, obviously, with Aaron Rodgers, are going to be insanely good. Um, I think, to me, it's really right now, as I sit here, it's it's New York Jets or, or Kansas City Chiefs as the two best teams, just because you look at the Jets last year, when they had half-decent quarterback play, they won. With Aaron and how special he is, man, that team should be really, really good. Um, I think the Jets is going to be an interesting that way. You kind of see that as they start to gel, all of a sudden become really, really special. NFC, who's the best team in the NFC? Uh, the Eagle, I mean, the Eagles are, are right there. And the, the Niners is just, can Brock Purdy back it up? I mean, the, the Niners roster, uh, I mean, Javon Hargrave moving over there from the Eagles. I mean, I don't think people understand how good he was last year. Um, I think to me, that's the Eagles' biggest question mark is losing somebody like him and the production that he had. It's one of those things that, you know, it's going to be tougher for those Eagles guys to win on the edge without somebody as special as he was as an interior rusher. And when you go to San Francisco, Nick Bosa is going to be the happiest dude on the planet because now when teams say we're going to double him or we're going to take extra attention, he's got a guy who's going to win beside him and they can't always do that. So uh, I think San Francisco is going to be crazy special. I just don't know, can Brock Purdy take the next step? Does he continue to be that guy, or was that just a, a crazy good streak he had? We'll, we'll find out. It's much like what we didn't know about Jalen Hurts last year. Good luck with the season. Always entertaining. Always good to see you. Have so much fun on Thursday nights. Know this. I'll be watching for sure, and thanks for coming and talking to me. Man, I appreciate the honor, man. It was a lot of fun, and I can't wait for the year, man. It's going to be exciting. Year two in the new career, the next Let's chapter. go. Let's, Let's go, baby. Let's go. Let's go. Thanks so much 
my friend. That was a great time. You are awesome. Thanks for your perspective. I know if no one else here is, I am excited for the football season to begin. Thanks for coming on here. Listeners, thank you for what you do. Listen, in in the case of this podcast. But you know what? You can also be so much more than a listener. You could be a subscriber. Ooh, by subscribing to this podcast. You could be a reviewer by leaving us a review. Or you could be a follower by following us at off the beat on Instagram, whatever you want to be, you be, and you know where to find me. It is right here every Tuesday. So have a great week and enjoy the NFL opening week. Off the beat is hosted and executive produced by me, Brian Baumgartner, alongside our executive producer, Ling Lee. Our senior producer is Diego Tapia. Our producers are Liz Hayes, Hannah Harris, and Emily Carr. Our talent producer is Ryan Papa Zachary, and our intern is Ali Amir Sahid. Our theme song, Bubble and Squeak, performed by the one and only Creed Bratton. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. As someone who lives for politics, when a major scandal unfolds... It was shocking. I have to know, what were they thinking? Backroom deals. Huge amounts of money. CIA secrets. Sets off a firestorm in Washington. Affairs. No way this guy's got a mistress. Corruption. I knew I was a dead man. Warning, it's even messier than you thought. United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper, Sunday at 9 on CNN. Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough introspection that I learned something about myself. I honestly can't gush enough about Freaky Tales. I'm so excited to share it with more people. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast.